0: Again, the reading is from Acts chapter 12, verse 11 through 19. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed she ran back without opening it and explained, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, It must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet. and and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said. And then he left for another place. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. May the Lord bless his holy word.
1: Hey, thanks, Bruce. We're continuing in our sermon series uh, called A Shared Life. And what we've been doing over the last several weeks are talking about different aspects of life together uh, as followers of Jesus, but in particular uh, in the body of Christ. And, of course, making the application to what that means for us here at Community Covenant. And so this week, we get to talk about a shared life of prayer. I've said it many times, and I'll say it again, that all that we do here uh, is undergirded on a foundation of prayer. Prayer is not just a part of the ministry. Prayer is the ministry. Uh, Prayer changes things. God moves in response to prayer. We have the privilege of supporting one another, uh, of being a part of God's dynamic kingdom work in the world through prayer. As Lori often reminds me, prayer goes where the body cannot. Uh, We were talking about Kenya, Janelle, and I I think about the Smiths. And as you know, the election in Kenya was overturned. There's national violence that's going on there. And uh, all this week, I've been thinking about Beth and Larry and thinking about their work in Kenya. And I've been uplifting them. I've been uplifting uh, their work, the nation of Kenya, uh, praying that the peace of Christ would prevail amidst the violence that's going on there right now with the election. And as I'm doing that, I believe that that's making a difference. And, and my prayers are going where I cannot. And uh, in, in the grand scheme of that great cosmic drama that's going on all around us in which God is advancing His kingdom and the, and the kingdom of darkness is in retreat, that prayer is literally uh, the atomic arsenal of the kingdom of God. Okay? Um, we have no idea, really. We think we do. But we have no idea uh, that the impact that prayer has uh, not only in our world, not only in the lives of those that we pray for, but the impact of prayer uh, in our own lives. The impact of prayer in our own lives. I love this quote by C.S. Lewis. You may be familiar with it. He says, I pray because I can't help myself. I pray because I'm helpless. I pray because the need flows out of me all the time, waking and sleeping. and then he says this, that prayer doesn't change God, it changes me. And I know that in my life as, as I pray, often it's externally for someone or something else. But to know that in the midst of that, that God is at work in my life changing me, transforming me, conforming me more and more and more to the image of His Son. And, of course, in the Gospels, we see multiple examples of the prayer life of Jesus. We see Jesus teaching His disciples the importance of prayer and how to pray. And so here at Community Covenant, we cannot uh, under or excuse over-emphasize the value and the importance of prayer. That's why we have a prayer wall as you come in. Uh, to the church right here in our welcome area where we pray specifically for people's requests. And and we can see the progression of those prayers. We can see the number of people uh, that are praying for any one request. In fact, um, I hear many, many times from people how impactful that prayer wall is and how it's making a difference uh, in their lives, both those who are praying and those who are being prayed for. Uh, I just encourage you to take a look at that wall and look at that last quadrant, that last section. Uh, you can see the impact that prayer is having in the lives of people in our church and in the lives of people that uh, we love outside the church. Take a look at that wall or, or the prayer corner or where the Canamores are uh, this morning. Al, raise your hand, okay? Uh, every service... We have at least two people back in the prayer corner. We have a a prayer room. Why do we do that? Because as the Spirit of God moves in your heart during a service, whether it be through the Word that is spoken or preached, through uh, music uh, that uh, we sing together, uh, through testimony, however the Lord is moving in your heart, we want to provide an opportunity for you to respond. Uh, And at any time during any service, uh, we encourage you to get up, go back, and to be prayed for. Or uh, to have someone pray with you for someone or something else. Uh, That's why we have the prayer corner during the services. Because prayer changes things. Prayer isn't just a part of the ministry. Prayer is the ministry. Anything we hope to do that's significant in the kingdom of God is going to happen on the foundation of prayer. Uh, this morning, as we talk about prayer, as we reflect upon our life together uh, at Community Covenant and prayer, I can tell you that prayer is making a difference. Prayer is making a difference in the lives of individuals. Prayer is making a difference in, in many of your lives, as I hear your testimonies. Prayer is making a difference in the life of our community. Prayer is making a difference in our state. Prayer is making a difference globally as we partner uh, with ministries and missions around the world. And so this morning, as we think about a shared life of prayer, I want you to recognize that it's more than a story we're reading here in the book of Acts in the Bible about uh, Peter's miraculous escape from prison. It's more than that. That the things that are true about this passage, the things that are true about God and how He responds... The prayer, the things that are true about the importance of the community of faith coming together and praying together that we see lived out in Acts chapter 12 in this young Christian community are true about us today. This is for you. And it's to help you. Um, mobilize and to recognize the importance of prayer and to encourage you to live and to develop your prayer life. Because the same God, the same Lord Jesus Christ, the same Holy Spirit that's active and alive in the pages of Scripture are active and alive in the pages of our lives individually and together as a church. And as the story of Community Covenant is written, even as it has been the the last 22 or so plus years, but as it's written moving forward, let it be said that this is a church grounded and rooted in the belief and the power of prayer. Amen? Amen? Amen. Now, our story this morning in Acts chapter 12 it uh, doesn't really begin in verse 11. We, we, we shorten the reading uh, into more of a kind of a bite-sized portion of a larger chapter. But it begins in verse 1. And so if you have your Bibles, open it up to Acts chapter 12, verse 1. Or as Lou says, your electronic devices, okay? Um, open them up to Acts chapter 12, verse 1. Let me give you a little context here and help you understand what exactly is going on. Um. Herod Agrippa I uh, is the king. He is the ruler that's been appointed and, uh, and under the authority of Rome. He, he is ruling now in an area called Palestine, including Judea and Samaria. Now, he is the grandson of Herod the Great. That was the Herod who was ruling at the time of the birth of Christ. And history tells us that this Herod Agrippa... Uh, the first, that uh, he had gotten himself into some trouble. He had a a debt. In fact, he was in deep debt with Rome. And if that weren't um, bad enough, he also had gotten himself in trouble. Apparently, he had a mouth on him. And he had spoken uh, some things that really had upset uh, the emperor at the time. I believe it was Tiberius, okay? And so he was thrown into prison in Rome, and had done a stint in prison. But uh, because of family ties and the politics of relationships, uh, he found himself being released after that particular emperor died. And he was allowed to go back to Palestine and again began to rule. Now, he wanted to be in the good graces of Rome because he kind of learned his lesson, so to speak. And so the way he attempted to do that was by pleasing uh, the Jewish hierarchy, the Jewish authorities. And the way he sought to do that was to arrest and to prosecute followers of Jesus. Because that made the Jewish ruling authorities happy. It kind of pacified them. It put him in their good graces. And if the Jews were happy and things were good with the Jewish ruling authorities, then things would be good with Rome. Does that make sense? So, in chapter 12, verse 1, it says it was about the time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church intending to persecute them. Now, this next verse too is really key to understanding everything else that's going to happen in this chapter. It says he had James... The brother of John. Now remember, James and John were the sons of Zebedee. Now this was not James, the brother of Jesus, who by this time is a leader in the church. This is James, one of the original disciples of Jesus. The brother of John. And he had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. Now, what does that mean? Why being put to death with a sword? In Deuteronomy, chapter 13, verses 12, 13, 14, right in that section. It says that anyone who worships or preaches a false god should be put to death by the sword. And so, what do we see happening here? James is a follower of who? Jesus. Jesus. And he is worshiping Jesus, not only as a son of God, but as who? God. And so the penalty that, that Herod had placed upon the life of James was in accordance with the old Jewish law that we read back in Deuteronomy 13. And the Jewish officials were more than happy to see James, by now identified as a troublemaker, a follower of, of, of Jesus, Right? Put to death by the sword. That's what's going on here. But let's read on. It says, When he saw this please the Jews, then he also proceeded to seize who? Peter. Okay? Hey, this puts me in really good graces with the Jewish ruling authorities, which puts me in good standing with Rome, because if they're happy, the emperor and the Roman government's happy, there's peace between the empire between the Jewish leaders. And it makes me look good. So now he seizes Peter. And what's he going to do to Peter? He's going to do the exact same thing. That he did to James. However, it says in verse 3. This happened during the feast of the unleavened bread. The time of Passover. And uh, at this time... He was going to wait until the feast was over. Then he was going to proceed with the execution of Peter. And so, after he had him arrested, the Scripture says that he had four groups of four guards that were given charge over him. And this is how it worked. That there were four groups of four guards, that 16 Roman guards, that were charged with watching Peter and making sure he didn't escape. Right, And two guards would be chained to Peter at any one time inside the prison cell. And then two other guards would be stationed outside the door. So that's like maximum security. And to make sure that these guards were alert and there was no chance for them to fall asleep or to make some mistake and by, by some means have Peter escape, there were four groups, so every six hours the guards were changed. Okay, And it was in this situation that Peter found himself. Now, let's look at here. Here's a second very important verse. Verse 5. Peter was kept in prison all right, during the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. Afterwards, he's going to be Executed the same way that James was. But check this out. Verse 5. Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The church was earnestly praying to God for him. So, you have the kingdom of man represented by the power and the authority of Herod given to him by the most powerful empire in the world, Rome, holding on to Peter, intending to execute him. But then you have the power of the kingdom of God represented by the people of God, the church. And these two are in conflict with one another. And the power of the kingdom of God is being advanced by the church through prayer. Do you know the same is true today? Amen. And no matter how great the forces that oppose the movement of God's kingdom, God's kingdom power is greater. Amen. And you see a small group of followers of Jesus gathered together in the home of John Mark, praying for Peter, are literally going to take on the forces of Rome and the kingdom of man. Wow! Okay? Talk about the power of prayer. And so as you read on, leading up to verse 11, where we began to read where Bruce read today, it says that an angel came and and literally released Peter while he was under the Roman guard. Uh, And it happened in in such a way that Peter, like, what is going on here? Is this a dream? Is this real? What's happening here? And the angel basically releases him, says, hey, come, put on your sandals, get your cloak on, let's get out of here and leads him past the guards outside the prison. And, and Peter kind of wakes up here in verse 11 and says, man, I guess I really am free that I've been freed by an angel of the Lord. Which, by the way, is in response to what? Prayer. The power of prayer. So Peter goes to the home of John Mark. Hey, John Mark, by the way, is going to be the author of the book of Mark. Okay, uh, He's the same John Mark that Paul and Barnabas later on, you know, they have some argument about and difficulties over. In fact, the gospel of Mark, it's believed, was heavily influenced by Peter. Really, it reflects a lot of Peter's experience. Because John Mark was on the periphery of what was happening, but wasn't in the, in the center of it. In any case. They go to the house of John Mark. And uh, he knocks on the door. And while he's knocking on the door. A servant girl named Rhoda goes and answers. Okay. She hears his voice. In fact she runs off. Doesn't even let him in. And he's still there knocking. And he goes and tells the other disciples that were gathered there and those that were gathered there in the house of John Mark that Peter's outside and they say, it can't be so. It's got to be impossible. Now, why would they say that? They're praying, aren't they? They've been praying for his release. Haven't they been? Well... When you go back to verse 2 of chapter 12, you see James was put to death by the sword. And can't you have seen all of them at one time, Peter included, praying for the release of James, but it didn't happen. They were probably praying in the same way. And so as they came to prayer for Peter, they prayed, but deep down inside there were probably real doubts about, well, we're going to pray about this, but you know what happened to James. There's no way that Peter's getting loose. We just better pray for him that God gives him grace and mercy because his execution is certain. Right? So much so that when Peter shows up, like they can't believe it. In fact, they say, it, it must be his angel. Now, why would they say that? Because in Jewish superstition of that time, it was thought that every person had a guardian angel and that the guardian angel could actually take on the appearance of the person that they were charged with caring for and guarding. So that was a belief in ancient Judaism at that time. I says, well, it can't be him. It, it must be his guardian angel coming to us as Peter. And of course it ends up being Peter. And Peter comes and he tells a story. And he says, go tell James about this. Well, this is James, the brother of Jesus, who by now is a leader in the Jerusalem church. And Herod is so angry that he has those that were charged with caring Uh, for Peter, those 16 guards, he has them put to death. And by Roman law... If you were guarding a prisoner, and you were a Roman guard, and that prisoner escaped, whatever punishment they were supposed to receive, you received in their place. And so they were put to death in accordance with Roman law for a guard who would uh, allow a prisoner to escape. Now this is a miraculous story. And I understand how they were feeling, can't you? Have you ever prayed for Something? And God didn't answer it in the way that, that you'd wanted him to? And has the fact that God didn't move in the way that you'd wanted? In this case, they'd prayed for James, but James was put to death. Now they're praying for Peter, but we can see they had their doubts. And have you ever been in a place where you continue to pray, but because God didn't work in a way that you thought he would or should, it affects your attitude and your heart as you go to prayer for something else. Can any of you relate to that? Well, I know I can. And yet God calls us again and again and again to prayer. Not to give up. Not to be overcome by doubt. Not to be discouraged. But to trust that God not only hears, but God responds in ways that are seen and ways that are unseen. And although James wasn't rescued in the way they had prayed for, God used all the events surrounding James' arrest and death for His greater plan and advancement of the kingdom in a way that those praying didn't understand, really. Because God is sovereign and God is on the throne. We can trust God. And the fact that all our prayers aren't answered in the way they should be shouldn't cause us not to pray. We should continue to pray. And as C.S. Lewis says, even if it doesn't change the situation I'm praying for, and even if it doesn't change God, it certainly changes me. Because as we come to prayer, several things happen. Number one, it draws us near to God. And as we draw near to the heart of God, our intimacy and our relationship with God is enhanced. Regardless of anything else that happens as a result of our prayers, prayer draws us near the heart of God and changes our hearts. The second thing it does, it it really is um, an exercise in dependence upon God, that it keeps me near God, independence of God, trusting God for the things that matter to me the most in my life, in the lives of others, in the world in which we live. Prayer does that. And through our prayers we have the opportunity to be a part of God's work, his kingdom advancement in the world. That our prayers make a difference. Our prayers don't fall on deaf ears. Our prayers are a part of God's work. That we are in partnership with the sovereign King, the God of the universe. Now He calls us to prayer. And I know sometimes we struggle with what shall we pray? How shall we pray? Anybody ever have that? Nobody? You ever struggle with that? Boy, I do. I want to share some verses with you really quick. Prayer is so important to God, and He wants you to pray so much that He empowers us to pray. Romans chapter 8. In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans, and He who searches our hearts Knows the mind of the Spirit because the the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. You know what? God just says, you know what? You You may not know what to pray or how to pray, but just pray anyway because prayer is so important and you praying is so important that even if you don't know how to pray, My Spirit will pray for you according to My will. Isn't that amazing? Check this out. Next verse. Next passage. Hebrews 14, 15 through 16. For we do not have a high priest. That's, that's speaking of Jesus. Okay? Jesus holds that priestly office. And what does a priest do? A priest represents the people to God and God before the people. Okay? We are a priesthood of believers. But Jesus is the high priest. Who We do not have a high priest, who is unable to uh, uh, empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet He did not sin. That makes Him able to be not only high priest, but sacrifice for our sin. But check this out. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Okay? Jesus is the great high priest who constantly intercedes on our behalf. The Holy Spirit constantly intercedes and is a part of praying our prayer life. When we don't know how to pray, the Holy Spirit prays on our behalf according to the will of God. All God asks is that we just pray. Even if you don't know what to pray for, just pray anyway. God knows. And check this out, the next verse. First Peter. What did Peter learn through all this? Okay? Later on he writes his, his letter, his epistle, First Peter. He says, Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. This morning I want to encourage some of you who are really struggling. It's what Janelle said earlier. Our God cares. And that we can cast all our anxiety on Him. We can go back this morning as the sermon ends during the rest of the worship service and Kim and Alan are there and we can pray. And you can be prayed for. Why? Because God cares for you. And then uh, a verse that comes out of Psalm 55 that, that really speaks the same thing, which I love, is cast your cares on the Lord and He will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. The Lord upholds us through prayer. We can trust Him and cast our cares on Him. And then finally, the praying community, the community of faith that we see here in Acts chapter 12. Those believers praying on behalf of the kingdom of God against the power of Rome and its authorities. Let's look at Ephesians 6. And pray in the Spirit with the Spirit's guidance and in submission to the Spirit. Asking for for help and praying according to God's will. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests with this in mind. Be alert and always keep on praying for all of the Lord's people. And so we end where we begin. With a call to prayer. With a confidence that knowing that God is at work in and among us, in and among and through our prayers. And even when it seems like it must have seemed to them when God didn't answer their prayer regarding James, that God is at work in ways that are seen and unseen and that we should never give up hope, we should never give up trust, that prayer ought to be our anchor that holds us firm and our faith, and our belief, and our trust that God is at work, that God is sovereign, and that He has chosen you and me as a community of faith, at community covenant church, to hold up the banner of prayer. Amen? Amen. Pastor Tyler, would you...